This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Idea to Life podcast. This is the podcast for you if you're getting started selling products or if you'd like to create your own product to sell. I'm Vicky Weinberg, a product creation coach and Amazon expert. Every week I share friendly, practical advice as well as inspirational stories from small businesses. Let's get started. Today I'm speaking with Lucy Heron, the founder of Slofa. Slofa is a women's shoe brand that hand makes ballerina pumps with an all-day sneaker comfort sole. So I had a really great conversation with Lucy. We talked obviously a lot about her products, but one of the most fascinating things we spoke about for me anyway, was about the value of your products. Lucy talks about the fact that her shoes are very, very expensive and she is not apologetic about that and she charges for them what they're worth. She's really transparent about her pricing, how much it costs to actually have her shoes made. Um, they're all ethically produced. And yeah, I think this was a really, for me, it was really fascinating and quite empowering actually to hear Lucy talk so confidently about her price point, um, which I say is higher than a lot of the products um, that I speak about. And yeah, I think you're going to find this hopefully really interesting and really inspiring too. So I would love now to introduce you to Lucy. So hi Lucy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. So can we start with you please give an introduction to yourself, your business and what you sell? Yeah, so I'm Lucy Heron and I'm the co-founder of Slofa um, and my husband and I designed a ballet shoe uh, slash sneaker and we sell online at slofa.com. Amazing. So let's start with what inspired you to create Slofa because I'd say a ballet shoe crossed with a sneaker is pretty unique, isn't it? It is. And that's the reason we started it. Um, I feel like I'm I'm kind of being dragged out of Dragon's Den by security shouting, we have a USP, there's no one like us. But we are literally the only ballerina pump that is a hybrid with a sneaker. So a lot of ballet pumps try and be comfortable, but they they aren't. They kind of get one element right. They get the elegance right, but not the comfort. And that's why we started the company, because I have always worn ballet pumps. And I've always kind of gone down like the cheap ballet pump road and you can kind of feel the floor through them and I kind of knew they weren't comfy but I I like them so I I probably suffered for years um, with uncomfortable shoes and then I met my husband and he um, loves trainers, got so many trainers and we were going on a weekend break and he was like why can't you just pack properly and take a pair of trainers for walking around all day Um, and at that point I was actually pregnant and um, he was like, this is ridiculous. You're going to be really uncomfortable. And I was like, no, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And obviously I was really uncomfortable. And so we got back and he, for my birthday, um, he gave me this pair of shoes 
and they were a ballet pump with a so-called sneaker sole but there were so many things wrong with them they were really ugly and I felt really awful but I've hated those shoes like and it's funny we just have a laugh about it now because we've, we've now got a company but they were really ugly and they were really uncomfortable and they were really expensive as well so I was like wow it's not just cheap shoes that hurt it's also like the expensive ones and so we saw a genuine gap in the market because we couldn't find anything like it out there and then fast forward to being pregnant the second time I was also back in Italy but this time wearing my slofers and I was super super comfortable because they've got um a sneaker sole so you you look great and you feel comfy all day that's amazing and I can definitely see the need for that because I used to wear ballet pumps all the time and then I got to the I can't remember whether it was pregnancy or a certain age when I was just like, no, I'm going to wear trainers because as much as I love how they look, it's just not comfy when you're on your feet for a lot of time, you know, like those cardboard thin soles. Yeah. They don't do you any good. (laughs) Exactly. So I can definitely see like, because trainers aren't always smart enough and there there are those occasions where you're like, oh, you know, I want to be comfy, but my trainers won't quite cut it. So I think this is just such an amazing idea. Thank you. So what happened? So you had the idea of, you know, creating them. So talk us through a little bit, if you don't mind, about what happened then. So how you got from this idea. And it sounds like you had a really clear vision to actually having a finished product. That's the problem. You have a really clear vision and it's really difficult trying to explain it. But also even when you think you've explained it and you get a prototype back and you're like, oh no, 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 that's really not what I meant. And so we went on LinkedIn, we found a footwear agent in Portugal and we didn't do like a massive amount of research, I've got to be completely honest, we just kind of dived in and obviously that meant that we made loads of mistakes and learned fast, but that's probably also quite a good thing in business. Um, So we found an agent and we sent her some drawings and just said, look, this is what we want them to be like. Um, She sent a prototype back and at that point I was crushed. I was like, I hate it. I don't want to do this. I just, it's horrible. I hate it. And uh, my husband was like, get on with it. We've got to just improve it and make it better. And so we binned off that agent because she just said, oh, it can't be done. It can't be done. Everything was no. And I was kind of happy to take no for an answer because I was like, oh, I just think it's a stupid idea. And I kind of got the fear about starting a business and felt like a bit of a fraud. And my husband was like, no, 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 let's keep going. Um, And so, yeah, we found another factory in Spain um, and we got an amazing shoe. Kind of four or five attempts later, I was holding this shoe in my hand and I was like, oh, wow, like, whoa, this, this is weird now because this is exactly what we wanted. So there was a lot of going backwards and forwards And then we found um, a place that could make our shoes. And then kind of the rest is history, really. We did actually move factory again um, to get a better price point and someone that could produce smaller quantities, because obviously we don't want to be kind of like mass produced and, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of of the same pair. The good thing about Slofer is they're handmade and we do small batches and we have a massive waiting list and there's a lot of demand. And so that's kind of, we wanted to be um, a bit less wasteful and we don't have like seasons we don't have end of season sales our shoes are our shoes are our shoes and you get them or you don't get them um and so now it's just like a creative process so the, the bulk of the shoe is done we're always looking for ways to kind of tweak it and make it a little more, you know a little bit more comfortable a little bit more flexible but we're really happy with um the feel of it and the look of it and so yeah now it just comes down to having a bit of fun with um leathers and animal prints and neons and just putting together um what you see is the finished product 
That sounds amazing. And I, I really like what you said about the way you produce them. So, so are they, so they're not made to order, they're small batches, is that yeah. right? So you're not yeah. making them as people order them. But that sounds really good. So I guess there's a lot less waste involved. Yeah, there is. I mean, it's it's a really, really expensive business to, to be in. It's very expensive on the manufacturing side because we work with factories that pay a fair wage. And so I think if you're going to spend £7 on a pair of pumps, you know that someone is being exploited somewhere. And so, yes, our shoes are expensive. There's no way of, of getting around that. But they're handmade and they're really comfortable and they last for a really, really long time. So they are an investment piece. Obviously, in recognition of the fact that they are an investment piece, we do some really solid core colours. So for a lot of people, they're like, oh, wow, I love the neon ones. They're so bright. They're so amazing. But if you're going to spend nearly £200 on a pair of shoes, I also understand why you're like, I can't wear that every day. So you've got to wear a blush colour or a black or a navy. And so we have a lot of people who wear our shoes every day to work because they're kind of sensible, quote unquote. Then we also have people who are like, oh my god I love glitter and sparkle and neon and animal print and so yeah we sell to loads of different people and so it's almost like you can kind of see like people's personalities coming across with the shoes that they pick because we've got something to to suit everyone but yeah we produce about 30 at a time so I've got you know in some sales I've, I've got 30 and then in some styles I've got you know next to nothing and they sell out and I think people are kind of used to the way we work now. So as soon as we announce we've got new stock coming in, I sell out pretty much within 48 hours because people have been waiting for them for, for so long. So, yeah, it's that's that's kind of how we work. And does that mean that so does every colour or style, is every colour or style available at once or is it more like, OK, now I've got this one in stock and then in a few weeks you have another one? Is that how it works? Yeah, so we do a full restock at the end of our season. So typically people don't really buy kind of October, November, December, January, February. And then obviously um, people start thinking about the spring, don't they? They're so fed up with the winter that by March, even though it's still a little bit cold, they're like, you know what, let's just start thinking about the summer. So we do a full restock so that when we start selling again, you know, and we're really busy in the spring, we've got every style, every colour. Um, we've just introduced a wide fit in some of our shoes and obviously that really took us by surprise um, we only had 10 and I sold eight on the first day so I was like oh god I should have got some more um, so we're always trying to like expand but be sensible about it so yeah I'm all stocked up and ready to go for the spring season now that's amazing. So I'm just, I don't think that's so interesting. I've never spoken to anyone who does it like that. So I guess over the winter months, is it just a case of you have what you have? So if someone wants yeah. went on your website in December, you have what you have in December. And then if they want something specific, they may have to wait until you restock. Okay, so we're, we're fully, we're fully stocked. So we aim to be fully stocked by the time things quieten down. So I guess our off season, you could say is kind of from October the 1st. It's quite funny. You can see it literally go off a cliff because people are, you know, thinking about winter boots and thick socks and trainers doing the school run and stuff like that so actually December is a great time to buy because I've got everything but if you come to me in May and you're like oh I'm looking for a really delicate blush colored shoe for the spring I'm like sorry I probably sold out um oh, so yeah we're, we're very very busy from about March oh okay so I misunderstood I thought you were fully stocked from March but that makes sense so actually if someone wants something specific now is a really great time to go and have a yeah. look isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah Oh, that is really interesting. And I guess the other thing with the small batches is it gives you a chance to see what sells and what doesn't. 
yeah to be honest like we've made <laughs> we've made a few bad choices and yeah you you see the ones that fly off the shelves and you see the ones that don't and I think the temptation is to be like oh god I better get them on sale some money is better than no money uh -uh. you know we we can't afford to do that our profit margins are really slim and we're not we're not going to do that so we do have some colors that do much better than others but yeah there seems to be like a it's generally most styles appeal because you know as i said earlier we've got some really basic sort of wardrobe staples that will last forever and go with everything and then we've got some really cool kind of neon animal print ones sparkles glitter so there's kind of something that suits everyone so it's always quite interesting to to see what happens when my phone like does the cha-ching and I look and I'm like, oh, I wonder what they're going to go for. It's it's always quite interesting seeing what people buy. Yeah, that is. And are you tempted, the ones that do sell out time after time, are you tempted to order more of those or are you sticking to the small batches for now? Yeah, well, we still stick to small batches um, because we're quite a fast cash flow business. And so we have a high turnover. But obviously, as you can imagine, our manufacturing costs are high, our marketing costs are high. We're always getting, you know, hit with invoices. <laughs> and it can be a bit scary in our downtime as well, because obviously we, we don't have the money coming in, but we've got the money going out. So we do have kind of like hero pieces, which are the shoes that just sell out the whole time. But we have to be careful not to let them cannibalize the whole of the range and so I think what we find is that where I might produce you know 30 to 50 um of of the black and the navy I'll only produce 30 of like the animal print with neon because I know that I could produce 100 and I would still sell out but then everything else would be left on the shelf so it's just kind of it, it's just trying to keep you know the idea that we've got what we've got and when they're gone they're gone and also like with leather you can it can go out of stock really quickly because it's, it's it's a natural product and so no two sort of sheets of leather are going to be the same and so you can look and say oh I love that leopard print and I love that dalmatian print and actually the supplier may just suddenly discontinue it and then we'll get another leopard but it'll be completely different and obviously you roll out a massive piece of leather that is like meters and meters and meters you know large but then when it's actually on a shoe, particularly a little sort of a smaller size shoe, you're like, wow, it's that the same. It looks really, really different. And so the shoes can always end up looking slightly different. And so, yeah, we do kind of 30 here, 30 there and, and see what happens. And the, the frustration is I got some samples back actually the other day. And I thought they were going to be amazing. And I approved the leather and I was like, this is going to be lovely, perfect for spring, not losing any time. And then it arrived and I was like, oh, it looks a little bit too dark. I didn't want it to be pink, pink. I wanted it to be neutral. But you go from, you scale down and once it's on the shoe, it ends up looking really different. So yeah, I've got to tweak that and, and find a, a slightly lighter colour leather. So I will possibly be ready for spring, but... I'm kind of ready when I'm ready. That's that's what I've realised, that there, there are so many variables that you can't really stress about it. And I think the good thing is we don't have, like, the new season coming soon. Because if I said that, I'd then have to go, sorry, we're going to be three weeks late. So we're very kind of relaxed about things. They happen when they happen. That's a really good, that's a really good attitude <laughs> to have, I think. But do you struggle to or help? to communicate this to customers because for customers this is a different way of shopping isn't it that there were small batches when you have what you have when it's gone it's gone um how do you get that message across 
to your customers? I'm just really honest. I tell them, like I've just told you, um, you know, we have like a waiting list function. So someone will say, can you email me when this is back in stock? And I'll email them and say, sorry, it's not coming back until the end of next year. And they're like, oh, wow, okay. So then typically they'll buy something else. And then when I email them, they're in such a rush because a lot of our shoes do stick in your head because they're quite vibrant. And so I sit back, it's quite funny. I love it when I've got a restock of like my really bright ones and I'll sit back. And I think the record, I sent out an email to everyone and said, they're here. And my phone pinged three minutes later. And when we did a restock of the Dalmatian with the Neon, I sold a pair every three minutes for an hour. And I was screaming excited. It was so funny. It was just like, ching, 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 ching. And then I sold them all. So I was like, oh God, maybe I should have got some more. But then obviously that goes back to what I was saying that, you know, we're never going to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds for all of the reasons that I've given. I think that's nice though, in a way, because it also kind of makes it not, I don't want to use the word exclusive. That's not the right word, but it's, it's kind of nice that it's something that is it's something like a special purchase, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it definitely is. And I'm not, yeah, I'm never going to be flipping and say, Oh no, it's an everyday thing. It's not an everyday thing. They're nearly 200 pounds. This is something that you have to think about. They're well-made. They're made by people who are paid properly and they're made to last. Like they're really, really, really good quality. And it's funny because I think my sort of reluctance was, I guess, coming at this, I was always quite cautious about how I price stuff because I was like, no, 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 you you can't ask people to spend that much money. But then we did loads of research and we were like, there are companies out there that are charging 500 pounds for a pair of pumps. And I can tell you now, they are not as well made and you can still feel the floor through them. So yeah, it has taken a little while. I'm not by my nature, I don't have pound signs ringing. And so my temptation was to try and price them lower, but we couldn't, we, we couldn't make a profit. We couldn't keep up. We couldn't produce any more if I set the price too low. And so I think it's just this constant argument. It's like, are they expensive or are they overpriced? And what I can say is they're not overpriced because I offer a breakdown. I've done it when people have kind of been a little bit picky you know like kind of keyboard warriors and they see our ads and they're like blah 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 blah. I can get these for three pounds in Primark and it's like okay go on then because you know I can't I can't put my energy into like changing hearts and minds like if you want to shop in Primark that's that's fine I'm not going to be preachy about it but here's my breakdown here's what the leather costs here's what the manufacturing costs and then the the choice is yours really but we're, we're really upfront about everything about costs about the fact that we don't produce a lot about the fact that you might love these shoes but no sorry I'm not going to get them for nine months yeah that's kind of that's kind of how how we approach it I really like that because I think there's such a temptation to either underprice your products because you're scared of charging too much or almost be apologetic about it like I'm really sorry that it you know that I'm charging you this but I really love the fact that you can stand behind your pricing and yet because you know your numbers and you're really transparent about it. I really love that because it, it, it it's really scary asking someone to pay you for anything, isn't it? And I think whether you sell a product or a service, there's always a temptation to go that a little bit cheaper just to make the other person feel a bit better. But um, yeah, I've, I've hopefully, I really hope people find that inspiring what you've just said, Lucy, because yeah. you know what your products are worth. And it doesn't sound like you've second guessed yourself at all. You've kind of gone, okay, this is what I spend. And obviously you're a business, you have to make a profit. Um, I really like that. Thank you. I mean, it comes from years of 
underpricing like prior to slavery it comes with like almost years of underpricing myself because I've run my own sort of my own thing it's a, a not-for-profit and I remember you know going and giving talks in Manchester because it would be great exposure and I remember spending like 100 pounds on a train ticket and standing there and talking to seven people for an hour and that's like my whole day gone my money gone and I'm like I got nothing from it I got nothing from it and actually my husband kept saying you've got to say no more and I was like I can't I can't I can't I can't and so I've, I've suggested everything for years and it's so nice just going no doesn't suit me no not doing it not doing it and I think that's the headspace you've got to get yourself into for pricing stuff because at one stage I was running one charity which is like my not-for-profit that I can do 15 years and getting paid in exposure, <laughs> which I kind of like learned my lesson eventually. But at one stage we were running like a, a not-for-profit for people who like nice shoes. And we were like, this is insane. And what we found is that when we increased the prices massively, but it wasn't that we increased it massively for no reason. We put the prices up to where they should be. We didn't lose any customers. We just got different customers. It's not about underpricing stuff because someone will always buy your shoes you've just got to find the right people and so it, there, there's been a lot of a lot of kind of work to get my own head around this behind the scenes so I sound like I'm totally okay about it but this has been like a long time in the making and it's just realizing that you know people out there will spend thousands of pounds on the most ridiculous of things so if you're charging nearly 200 pounds for a pair of handmade shoes yeah they're not for people that want £10 fast fashion but they're also I've had loads of people going oh they're quite affordable and I'm like ah, yes okay and yeah so there, there are so many people out there you just got to find the right people for your price point that, yeah I think you're right and I think a lot of us do get there eventually it's just a shame we spend all those years or months or whatever it is not making money in the price because I've definitely done it I've definitely with services I've offered underpriced because I've just been a little bit scared of asking for more money and I think there's it's just like knowing the value of you, yourself and for you knowing the value of your product and I think as well people who are looking for ethically made products um, are happy to pay a bit more. And I, I guess that's probably at least some of your customer base is people who want to shop ethically because, and they know that shopping ethically means people are being treated well, paid well, you're therefore going to pay more for that product. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I, I've definitely bought into the whole, Oh, I need a new top and I'll just buy one from somewhere horrific and I won't name them you know in my 20s and I guess early 30s and I literally read one book and it completely changed sort of my attitude it was um consumed by Aja Baba and I kind of thought oh my god I sort of suddenly realized that at the age of 40 which is like embarrassingly late I just kind of realized like you only ever see the face of it you just go into a shop and buy what you want and you don't realize what's going on sort of behind the scenes and I know what you mean, because now I'm like, oh, I could do with a couple of, you know, a couple of white T-shirts. And you're like, oh, they're really great, but they're five pounds from, you know, X, Y, Z. And you think, oh, OK. Oh, right. Now I, now I get why it's five pounds. And I know that sounds like, oh, how can you be so stupid? How can you be so naive? But I honestly think people just, you're busy. You don't really think about everything. But once your eyes have been open to it, then I think it does change. So I can, I can honestly say... I really consciously have have not I've, I've avoided a whole load of shops and I now question like do I really 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 need this and even if I'm like oh, I don't need it but I want it 
I still pick my my want quote unquote from a, a better place. So yeah, I know I know that sounds a bit. I know that, like if I'd heard someone say that two two three years ago, I'd be like, oh, hark at you. But you know, it, it just it's just that that wisdom I guess from you know and Instagram's great because you have access to so many people in the fashion world that can help you make the right sort of decisions and obviously that's something that we try to kind of like implement in our in our business now. That's great thank you and I think you're right I'm I'm exactly the same especially in terms of do I actually need this or am I just being brought into the whole consumerism thing of we need more stuff and I do think that I do think things are going in that direction, but I yeah. think like you, I was, yeah, probably late thirties, 40 before I kind of got there. And it's a shame <laughs> yeah. you know, it took so long, but I think things are definitely going in the right direction. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm really conscious of time, but there's one more thing I'd really like to touch yeah. on if that's okay, Lucy, which is um, investment and seeking investment and particularly seeking investment as a female business owner. I had I did a, um, an episode quite a while ago now all about seeking investment. And I know that for women, it can be more challenging than it is for men. We obviously haven't got loads of time to talk about this, but I'd love to just know a little bit about your experience, if that's okay. <laughs> my experience has been awful I've sat uh, at my kitchen table with absolute snake oil merchants and I'm sorry to say it but it's just there is a certain type of male investor and um, before anyone like beats me around the head with it yes I know not all men not all investors but um, you know there's a certain type and I've had my business plan ripped up in front of me I've had them draw lines through it I've had them tell me that I shouldn't be online and that I should open a shop on Bond Street which I just I I just had to shut off and glaze over and just smile and nod and just wait for him to finish and and kind of get out of my house um I've had people telling me that um my products are mediocre uh and that my business plan is weak all with the intention of undervaluing my company so that they can buy 90% of it for 10 grand and make me feel like I'm still involved and pull the rug from underneath me. So I've had two really bad experiences with would-be male investors and I made a vow never ever to work with male investors again unless we can have a conversation where I can get to the end of my sentence before they start banging on the table and telling me I'm wrong and I'm more than happy with everything I've set up. I'm more than happy to defer to people who know more than me but I find that in this business, when you're looking for investment, you attract a certain type. They don't want to give you any credit. They don't want to value you because they want a bargain and they want to take over. And I've kind of had enough of being bulldozed over. So actually, we are in communication with, um, having said everything I've said, a male investor. But my bad experiences have made me really, really forthright. And I'm like, I have a business plan. I will be presenting it. I will take questions at the end. And I'm so not like that. I'm, I'm so not like that. But I've got really good at shutting down all of the objections that people have because I know it's a game. I know it's a game. And I know they're trying to get my company for next to nothing. And that's not happening because we've put our savings into it. We've put so much of ourselves into it. I'm damned if I'm going to get into bed with the wrong person. I'd rather have no company at all. So yeah, I definitely think women are the way forward because I think we are just naturally less 
aggressive and that's not to say that we're not assertive that's not to say that we're not good at what we do I just feel like there's a slightly better approach when you speak to women and yes there are some great men out there and there are some awful women out there and that's not the the purpose of the conversation but I generally find you feel like you're working with a colleague with a team member when you speak to a female investor and they want to get to know you they want to get to know the business whereas with the men that I've spoken to um I've just been left with a really sort of bad impression but with all bad experiences it's taught me a lot and so I'm going into every conversation I have now with my eyes wide open and I think you've just got to kind of not be afraid of saying no so yeah you know if if we can't get investment on good terms then we will spin it off and we will go for attempt number four but I think you just you just can't be bulldozed and I think you know stereotypes are kind of there for a reason so I'm always quite mindful if a male investor comes to me now, because I have found from my experience that, you know, there's there's a fairly aggressive approach and that isn't for me. So yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, well, I'll be keeping my fingers crossed for you. I'm sorry you've had such bad experiences. I hope you didn't mind sharing that. I just think it's no. good not to put anybody off because I think what's really reassuring is you're saying that despite having had some bad experiences, you're still looking for investment. Yeah. And it sounds like you just, you know, you're really clear that it needs to be a certain way on your terms and I do think that's good for people to hear because I think investment's scary as it is but it's just I think what I hope people take from this is what you said about just knowing your worth and standing your ground and not going for the first thing that someone offers you just because you're flattered that you know they've they've asked yeah and that's just a theme I've got from this whole thing speaking to you Lucy is you really seem to know your worth your product's worth and I think that's I think that's really inspiring actually Thank you. No, it's been really good to to chat about it. And yeah, I'm always happy to kind of share information and be a sounding board. Like we've got so much stuff wrong. Um, I almost think it's a it's a waste not to share it. So if I can make my balls ups and, and share them, then you know, hopefully other people will will learn from that. I'm definitely better to learn from in in as much as all the stuff I've got wrong. I'm still working on getting everything right. But um, yeah, I think we need to kind of support each other and look out for each other and not be so, you know, guarded with all our information. There's stuff that you need to keep close to your chest, but I think it's so much better to just kind of be collaborative and and helpful. So yeah, that's that's kind of my my offer going forward. If anyone needs to talk about it, I'm I'm just a phone call away. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, and I, I think you will get taken up on that, I'm sure. Um, so I'm going to look at time. One more minute. I've got one final question. And actually, based on what you've just said, I think this ties in beautifully, is what is the number one piece of advice you'd like to give to other people listening today? What's the one thing you want? Always try and do everything yourself first. Don't put yourself in the bin and pay someone to do something. Try your social media try your content try your photography try designing stuff because we've spent so much money on other people doing stuff that I look back and I'm like oh my god I so could have done that myself try everything yourself before you pay someone else to do it that makes sense thank you I also think it makes sense because once you are looking for someone else to do it you can't even know what you want so I've got a good example for me would be this podcast I'm trying to outsource the editing but because I've done it myself for three years I know how it should be I know how long it should take all of those little things actually when if you just outsource from the start and I'm a big fan of outsourcing by the way but yeah, I think yeah. a big problem is you just don't know how things should be could be um what you should be paying how long a job should take so I think having all of that data yourself is so useful exactly exactly 
That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Lucy. So I'm going to link to your website in the show notes so people can go and take a look at the shoes. Thank you. I really hope uh, everyone likes our shoes. And if you've got any questions about um, what we've got in stock or sizing questions, just, yeah, ping me an email. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. It's really good to speak to you. Thank you so much for listening right to the end of this episode. Do remember that you can get the full back catalogue and lots of free resources on my website, vickyweinberg.com. Please do remember to rate and review this episode if you've enjoyed it and also share it with a friend who you think might find it useful. Thank you again and see you next week. If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.